pet chat is here. Firstly, Cheryl Shaw back after her monthly break. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Topic for us today. That you, uh, that you. Oh no, we did we did talk about it before. Um, oh dear. Oh dear, dear. Yeah. <laughs> mm. uh, Doctor David, I got in before her today. I got in before um, you. These dad jokes. We're just going to have to put a stop to it. Uh, but Cheryl, you are talking about dear. deers today. Yeah, or will be deer antlers. Full stop. The end. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That means, Doctor David, you'll have to come up with the rest of the program then. Or our callers will fill in, of course. But yes, we do have a couple of topics I'm ready to talk about. One of which is fairly common result we see when people get their uh, blood test for their dogs. And there's a common result that often pops up. And I thought we might spend some time on that. Pet Chat on 2NURFM 103.7. And it's a time to fire up the call straight away, David. So you had that call to action oh, and it's happened immediately. We do. Good afternoon, Eddie at Rutherford. Uh, your dog has some skin irritation there, Eddie. Yeah, mate. Yeah, um, he's a Maltese Shih Tzu cross. Mm. Um, he's been had a pretty rough life. He's a rescue dog. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came out with this skin condition when we got him from the kennel. Um, and he's been on Quartazone for all his life. He's nearly eight now, and he's been on Quartazone for about seven years. Oh dear! And we got that off, got him off that, and we've got him on Aqua uh, Apoquil. Yep, uh, and that works quite well. Um, but we're just wondering—he's got this like a—it uh, stops the itching. I mean, that does stops the itching, but he's got this almost like a dandruff in his fur. Oh yeah, and, and uh, on his feet and his legs, he licks them a lot, and yeah. it's all this sticky black stuff in his. In his, on his skin, and it won't come out of his fur. Yeah. I'm just wondering, like, we're managing with him, and he's he's a happy little dog, but just wondering if there's any other thing we can do about all this dandruffy stuff. So a lot of, a lot of the problem, and particularly Apoquil, is treating um, the, what we call, um, oh, gosh, the word's just atopy. There we go. Atopy, yep. which is an inherited allergic skin disease that dogs develop, yep. often to respiratory things like that yep. but also contact you know pollens things like that so the yep. apoquil what it does is it modifies the response of the body but in a much yep. safer form than steroid does a similar thing but it actually it's kind of like a sledgehammer effect oh, right yeah, and yeah. it has pretty marked side effects so apoquil is yeah. much safer but yeah. anytime we get problems with skin disease um, you really need to treat it from a number of different approaches. So the Apoquil is treating the immune system on the inside, but right. you're, you're also got to do more with regards to the outside of the skin and particularly that kind of black residue that you're getting because he's still licking, which is still yep. a sign that this is not really under control. Right. All the moisture from his tongue and the protein and the iron and everything that's in the saliva is create, creating an environment which is actually encouraging the growth of yeast on his skin. Oh, right. Okay. okay. So a lot of these dogs, we need to actually treat them with uh, antifungal or antibacterial, anti, uh, antifungal. They're often combined shampoos. Yep. Um, and this can be quite a you know, repeated thing. You're going to have to do this fairly frequently, particularly in the early stages, like a couple of times a week. The other yep. thing is with those, make sure that when, and you can speak to your vet about this, um, is the shampoo has to have a contact time of 
what do you reckon, it's Cheryl? It's 10 minutes. 10 minutes? Yeah, so oh, it's 10 right. minutes. 10 minutes yeah. And you've got to really massage that into the dog as well. So it's not just a matter of thinking of like a shampoo. <clears throat> yeah, you can't just you put it on and wash no. it off. You've really got to yeah. think of it as a treatment. So you put it onto the dog and you massage it in for 10 minutes. And then yeah. after that 10 minutes, um, you rinse it off and then you thoroughly dry. You must make sure that the dog is completely oh, yeah. dry. That's, that's really important because it's the moisture that is encouraging the yeast to stay there. So Apoquil's great, but you need to do a little bit more, and the shampoos will help great. All the best, Eddie, and uh, all the best with uh, your dog there. G'day, Carol at Cameron Park. You have a coughing dog today. Yes, I do. Hi, Carol. So you've got a 10-year-old Shetland, is that right, Shetland Sheepdog? Yes, that's correct. And how long has this problem been going on for? Well, the funny thing is we've only been in a single-level home for nine months, so when it was two-storey, I don't know whether she did it because she wasn't close to the back door. Yes, right. So we've been here just on nine months, and I notice when she drinks, she sort of coughs and sounds like she's choking, and then she's fine. <laughs> now, is, is there other times when she's choking, like, for instance, when she's eating food? No. No, so it's just with water. and. Yeah. When she's sleeping, is there any snoring at all? Don't know, because once again, she sleeps outside. But when I've seen her just sort of laying around as if she's asleep, I've never noticed snoring. Yeah, okay. Well, the reason I'm asking about that is that a lot of these, when we hear this about dogs that are coughing when they drink water, it's because the swallowing uh, at the back of the throat, the larynx, the pharynx, the soft palate, we're getting things a bit mixed up and sometimes the water goes into the trachea and the airway and that's what's stimulating the cough so it may well be that there's a problem there in the back of the throat now shetland sheepdog is not a dog that i would normally expect to have for instance um an overlong soft palate that's really more in the you know dogs with the pushed in faces the brachycephalics however yeah. they they certainly can get problems like that um the other thing we sometimes see is they can actually have a, a form of muscle weakness or paralysis in the larynx, which is interfering with their ability to swallow. Um, and swallowing is quite a complex activity uh, involving, you know, a crossover between our airway and our uh, esophageal tract, the gastrointestinal tract. And so if the, anything's just a little millimetre out of alignment, you're going to end up with this sort of problem. So we, I would be looking for uh, getting your vet to go looking for any kind of uh, disease that could actually affect or, and this could be there's a mass in that area, it could be that there's um, something involving the nerves. And that is sometimes seen in these dogs as well. So it's probably worth a visit because I don't think it's innocuous. I'd, I'd, I would be quite concerned. And ultimately the other thing is that over time, that is going to mean that she's going to get food or water into her lungs, which can lead to aspiration pneumonia. So right. I think it's worth getting that checked out and make sure everything is okay. And maybe it is, you know, a slightly long soft palate. Maybe that's what the problem is. There might be a surgical fix for that. Other things, there may be some medicine. All right, best of luck, uh, Carol. And uh, Cheryl, I know you're ready, so your topic will be on in a couple of seconds, all right? Thanks, Mark. Deer antlers. We'll get into that with Cheryl Shaw. I think this might be the first time, well, it's the first time that I can recall that you've actually covered this particular animal in your topics, and that's the, the deers. Am yeah, I right? It is right, but I'm not actually going to be no. talking about deers as pet. It's their no, antlers. Well, the antlers. And antlers are interesting because... 
they've crossed over into the market for feeding to dogs. Now, I'm really concerned about that. I think that they're quite dangerous myself. But mm. anyway, what happens? There's the male deer is the deer that sheds the antlers, and there's about six, 60 different species of, of deer. So there's a lot of deer out there shedding their antlers. And these antlers, when they're fed to the dogs, can create a lot of problems. Obviously, they're hard, they're really intensely hard, and the dogs have trouble trying to chew them. And often they will cut their gums and bleed, but they also cause oral um, teeth problems. So they, they, they will crack the teeth, they'll split the teeth. And then this is an issue because often people don't realise, and it is Dental Health Month, so people don't mm. realise that their dogs have cracked teeth. And these teeth can lead to um, abscesses and infection. So it's really important to when we're feeding our dogs or giving them something that we think is a treat, that it's something that is really suitable. These deer antlers, they're shed by the, the males um, every year after their mating season. They start off really soft and they're covered in a soft down called velvet. Okay. And then as uh, after the mating, when the hormone levels drop, they shed these. And it's only the males, although the, the reindeer does in the female, she sheds, but only the males shed those. And they're really used um, during mating time. They're used to... Um, to encourage a female to them so you know say hey, look at me oh, I've got I bigger. look yeah. look at the size of my antlers yeah, like, hey, cheeky yeah babe. waiting for that cheeky waiting for babe that. look at me <laughs> and also they deter the other males you know they show their horns and move their head and tilt it different ways to sort of say hey you know come on I'll, I'll i'll have a go but you know feeding your dogs you've really got to think about what you're giving them is is an antler something that is good for your dog and in my belief it's not have you seen any antler fractures david um, I can't say that I have, but I'd certainly want to do a poll of, um, you know, local vets and see mm. what they're seeing. So we don't we don't get a lot of uh, dental problems coming through the emergency room. Yeah, when you pick up one of the antlers and you feel it, they they're incredibly hard. They, oh yeah, they are just yeah. so calcified because they start off really soft and got, got lots of blood flow, but at a point the um, hormones drop, the blood flow drops, and then they harden. They they're quite nasty. Yeah, I've seen them in the shops and mm. I wonder if they they just look like an emergency surgery waiting to happen. Yeah, well, they do cause obstruction. Yeah. So, yeah. But I was concerned because I saw them as well. I thought they looked like driftwood and I thought, oh, aren't they weird? And, yeah, and people are feeding them to their dog. Well, again, if you see something in the store that's marketed as food, why would you – I mean, for the pet owner, why would you just assume that it's not? That's the – which is the the dilemma, isn't it? Well, yeah. we often, you know, on the on the calls, we talk to people about keeping their dog occupied. If you go out, mm. give them something that they can chew on, and we've we've talked a lot about that in the past. But we do want these pets to be safe when they're doing so. So I think we need to be cautious about whatever we give our pets. You know, what are the things that could go wrong? We got to weigh mm. that up. So yeah. yeah. Now, Cheryl Shaw, it seems like you've started something a couple of minutes ago with your deer antlers conversation, because Mark from Boat Harbour, you would like to weigh in on this right now. Yes, look, we've, we were feeding out to staffies who are pretty big chewers, uh, deer antlers for a while, but we've noticed that the hardness seems to vary quite a lot, and we've gone away from them for exactly the reason that there's mentioned. We've gone over to goat horns, and they still give them a... a they still last for quite a long time, but they just don't have that same very hard uh, outside surface that can damage their teeth. So oh, that's excellent to hear that, yeah, because obviously you've seen what's what was going on with the antler and being able to switch over to the horn. 
Yeah, the early ones were much, what are they, softer? They were still quite hard, but nothing like the more recent ones. As I think you mentioned calcified. I think that's what the more recent ones we've bought are, and we've had to take them away for that reason. So, But the goat horns with the, the marrow intact are still nice and solid, and it gives them a good workout. I wonder, I wonder if that's like the time of season, the variance in the hardness of those antlers at different points, and... I'm not sure what the supply chain looks like. So. Well, they shed after they've mated, so they shed yeah, once a they, year. Yeah, so they should all be the yeah, same. Yeah, so they should be the same because Maybe. they're actually collected from the paddocks and then they're they're um, treated. They're actually um, boiled and yeah, cleaned things up. And yeah, so that they. Reduce well, maybe that maybe they're kept in storage, and over you know some of last year's antlers come through, and they have a different hardness. So, yeah, yeah it's an interesting point, and I guess the thing, Mark, is um, did you see any teeth problems with your two dogs? No, but we could certainly hear the oh, one yeah. in particular is a very very strong chew, and we could certainly hear the sort of the crunching, and we just thought it's just not worth the. Yeah, yeah. Because... So we took them away, but as I said, the coat horns are—they're still very solid, but they—they uh, they don't have that hardness on the outside that the mm. antlers have. Mm. And Mark, how long does it take your stuffies to go through the goat horn? <sighs> the bigger ones—it'll last. We don't sort of let them just have them all day. We give them to them for a couple of hours at a time, but they'll last several weeks oh, at okay. that rate. That's excellent, and it's really good too that you do remove them from them and not just let them have them all the time like that. That's um, yeah, gives them a, something to look forward to and that activity. More of a treat and keeps them occupied when we want them to be occupied. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it also would help to prevent uh, food poisoning with bacteria growing on them. You know, if they're left out, mm. kind of thing. So yeah. Yeah. That's good. Well, thank you for your call. Good afternoon, Brian at Nelson Bay. What's happening with your staffy Kelpie there, Brian? Yeah, um, she's about three and a half years old. She's a beautiful little dog. Yep. Um, and um, it's only recently that she started to have this puppy weeping over one eye and now it's uh, to the other side as well. Mm. I might wipe her eye about well, two or three times a day, I suppose. But um, is it... Because of the seasons, um, we seem to think that maybe there's grass seeds or things like that, or is there other some type of medication I'm going to use to ease the, uh, the issue, the problem? Well, I mean, we could be dealing with things that are seasonal in, in place, and we talk about allergies, but then I wouldn't expect it to start just in one eye, and I'd be thinking more an infectious cause. The, the other thing that can happen is you can get... Uh, say something in that one eye and then get an infection and then the infection spreads to the other eye. So you could get a grass seed in one eye. But a grass seed is pretty intensely uh, painful and will cause severe injury to the eye if it's left. Basically, uh, dogs have three eyelids, so the upper eyelid like we do, the lower eyelid, and then they've got this third eyelid which sits on the inside, on the middle side of their eye closest to their nose and that actually swipes up and across um, and we have a what's called a vestigial third eyelid which is just that little pink flesh uh, mound on the inside of our eye whereas dogs have this rather large third eyelid and it's actually got a piece of cartilage in it so it acts basically to clean the whole eye and it swipes all the way up and across and then most of the time you might just see it's a little crescent shaped piece down in the inside corner and um, if you get a uh, oftentimes we get grass seeds they'll sit in beside behind that against the eye so every time that swipes up and a 
cross. It's basically dragging that uh, grass seed or pitted bit of dirt, whatever it is, across the eye, scratching the surface of the eye. And that's and then, going to inc- yeah, that's going to cause pain. It's going to cause a lot of inflammation and a secondary infection. Yeah, so, no, she's not in any pain at all. She's pretty right. It's just this weeping in the corner a bit. So I don't know whether like a, a light salt sort of a, a wash or something to yep it. Yep. Um, anytime we deal with the eyes, we do want to use what's called an isotonic solution, which just means that it's a balanced. Uh, salt solution. Now you can actually get sterile saline ampules from pharmacy oh, right. and yep, you yep. can use that. Another way I just tell people is to use, um, take a cup of boiled water that's cooled down a bit and you add one teaspoon of salt to a cup of boiled water. Right. Okay, so yep. that, that will provide the same concentration of salt um, and the boiling will help to clear any bugs out and you can use that to wipe the eye however you know look eyes you only get two of them and um for dogs do yeah. rely on their eyes particularly a kelpie breed so yeah. i think uh something like that i'd be wanting to get a vet check because what they'll do is they'll stain the surface of the eye they'll have a look for any injury have a look behind that third eyelid and oftentimes there can be some uh, medication that'll give in to help fix it pretty quickly there's another thing that you might want to check out too, Brian. Some dogs have um, their top eyelid is actually curled over and their eyelashes sometimes rub on their eyes. Uh, oh, okay. That can be something that the vet will have a look at as well, but that, that can often cause just that weepy eye. It may be just on one eye, often it's on both, but um, mm. if, if that eyelid is rolled over a bit and the eyelashes oh. are rubbing on the eyes, that will cause irritation and that will cause the weeping as well. Uh, yeah, okay. that's, that's a problem called entropion, where the eye rolls in. When the yep. eye ro- uh, sits out, rolls out, it's called ectropion. And further to what Cheryl was saying is there are some other things that we look for is um, known as dystochiasis. So these are misplaced um, eyelashes. So instead yeah, of... I can't even pronounce that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's one of those things we just look for routinely in these kind of patients, and they can be really, really hard to see. We usually use magnification to find them. Good afternoon, Kayleen. You're a greeter there and a couple of Border Collies at your place not getting along at the moment. What's happening, Kayleen? Yeah, that's, that's right. They're not getting along at all. We've just had a new one new one come in um, a couple of weeks ago and she's five years old mm-hmm. and um, yeah she's five years old and the older one is um, eight years old yep. and the older one has been with us for a, a little bit longer so she's um, she's the dominant dog um, but she just keeps on attacking the other dog and I just don't know what to do about it. <laughs> I know it's a jealousy thing but um yeah, when we were not home yesterday, the older one attacked the younger one and now she has a leg injury and some teeth marks and yep. bits and pieces, so yeah. Yeah. Um, and how long have you had the older one for? Um, we've had her for about, she's eight, so I've probably had her for seven years. Okay, so pretty pretty long time then. And has, yeah. she, has she always been on her own or is this a No, no, we've got a, a male border collie um, as well, he was a um, badly abused rescue rescue dog, right. um, and we've had him for about uh, I think he's five as well. So we've probably had him for nearly four years, and 
they're okay most of the time, but occasionally the older one will have a go at him as well, um, but not to the extent that she's actually having a go at um, the new one. So three dogs all together? Yeah. Yeah, um, but just the two that seem to be not getting along at the moment. Yeah, just yeah. The, um, the two females. Um, the older one's de-sex, and I'm not sure if the other one is or not. Um, I can't find an ear tag that says she's de-sex, so yeah. I'm assuming yeah. maybe not. Um, so the problem isn't two dogs and not getting along. The problem is three dogs and having a dynamic where we're actually seeing everything's changed. The whole thing's changed. So um, it's funny we actually say this at work is when we add a new team member to uh, work, we don't just get a new team member. We now have a new team. So we it's a similar thing. We, we have to work out all the relationships um, one thing that we sometimes see, and I'm really just going to be dipping into a few theories here, so not really diagnosing, but one thing that can sometimes happen is that um, the eight-year-old dog that's doing the attacking at the moment, really might, maybe it's an issue where they want to actually have a go at the uh, male dog that's been there longer, but they're too scared to do that. So what they do is now they pick on the new one and it's a displaced aggression. Um, the other thing is you can often see uh, injuries like this or these kind of behaviours associated um, with feeding times and making sure that we keep everybody separated. The other thing is when people are around, if there's different people, because dogs actually see themselves as part of our environment and part of our pack, and so it's their relationship with people as well. Okay. It gets really complex. I mean, it's hard enough when there's just two dogs, but when you've got three, and I was just saying to Cheryl before we came to you on the call, uh, in my work in emergency medicine, I would say every day we see a dog that has had dog fight wounds and it's because of a backyard issue. It's not because of another dog on the street, although we do see them as well. But every time we have uh, a dog coming with dog fight wounds, 90% of the time it's because of something happened in the backyard. So these are complex relationships. The first piece of advice I'm going to say is you need to isolate the new one. Because, yeah, I did that this yeah, morning. We, yeah. we, just can't, we don't want to run the risk that these attacks get more vicious and that there's more injuries um, because then it really gets very sad for everybody very quickly. Um, so let's do that, first of all. Let's make sure everybody is fed separately with no yeah, I do that, yeah. You know, fences. Yeah, definitely do that because the older one is, if there's food there, it's mine. Yeah. And, yeah. So <laughs> you need to do that. And then the other thing is, and, um, you know, we, we had Julie Tolliday on last week and we were talking about making small steps, putting dogs on leashes. Um, that's the other thing is any interaction, we want to have the dogs on a leash so that we can actually control what's happening. So start simple but I also want you to speak to your vet about this problem. All right. The best of luck, Kayleen. And thanks to everybody that rang up today for Pet Chat. Dr. David Tabbert, some great words of wisdom thanks, there. Mate. We'll catch uh, you here next week. Uh, yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. And I know, mean, Cheryl, you're here next week. You've had a break, so no rest more for you <laughs> next week as well. Okay. All right. That's Pet Chat done for today. Uh, again, back next Wednesday from midday. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.